if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Job. We're still in the first chapter. We just took five verses last week. And I tell you, it's really important, I believe, to take our time in the first couple of chapters of Job. You might think, man, how, how slow are we going to go? We, we just took five verses last week. We're only taking 6 through 12 today. How slow could we possibly go? Well, in the beginning of Job, I think it's important to go slow so that you can create a really good foundation of understanding to take with you as we get through the rest of Job. Because after we get past these first couple of chapters, we're going to pick up the pace. We're going to start taking you know, big swaths of scripture at once uh, as we examine, examine these different conversations that take place in the book of Job. But before we get to those places, we need that solid foundation of chapters 1 and 2 to, to really, uh, to, to again, just have in our back pockets as we go through the rest of the book. And so those first five verses were critical as they introduced Job to us. This is this is the greatest of all the people in the East, it said. It, this, was, this was a person who loved and feared God, who turned away from evil. He was blameless and upright. This is the, the perfect human specimen. This is Job. He's doing it right in terms of just living your life out on this earth. Job had a great family. He was successful. He honored God. He was honest. He earned the life that he was getting to live, and it was, was a wonderful life, as we saw there in the first five verses. And, and so you can't help but be happy for a guy like Job. It's great, man, he worked hard, he's honoring God, and he's living this great life. You can't help but be happy for this guy. And also you can't help but get that bad feeling in the pit of your stomach because you know what's around the corner for Job. He's, he hasn't done anything to deserve any, anything terrible to happen to him, but we know that is around the corner and so if we were watching the movie of Job, that was scene one. And, and at the end of scene one, we would, we would probably see this picture of Job uh, on his knees, praying and thanking God for his life. You'd see that, off, that burnt offering next to him with the, the, the smoke going up and praise to the Lord. And then off in the distance behind him, you could probably see his family gathered around at picnic tables with green grass and blue skies around them, laughing and enjoying one another's company. It would just give you a warm feeling in your heart at the end of those first five verses if they were put to movie. And then that would all fade to black, and you'd get to verses 6 through 12 that we're going to watch today in our minds as we read through uh, this paragraph and it is unlike any other moment in the entire Bible. I, I'll go as far as to say the paragraph we're reading uh, today and studying today, considering today, it's one of the most unique moments in all of the Bible. There's nothing else quite like it. It's shocking, it's disorienting, it's confusing but yet profound at the same time. If you're like me, you read a paragraph like what we're reading today in the book of Job, and it creates as many questions as it does provide answers. And that's what the book of Job is meant to do a lot of times. That's how it, how it lands on our ears. We, the scene opens up in seemingly this heavenly realm. Maybe, it doesn't explicitly say so, but we know that God is there, angels are there, and Satan is there. And they're all there, and, and, and they're having a conversation about Job. So our minds collectively kind of explode a little bit as we try to paint this image or this moment in our minds, and as we try to 
process what's happening here and read this conversation, again, I just got so many questions, and maybe you will too, and I'm going to do my best to anticipate some of those questions and maybe answer some of them, but I definitely can't answer them all, because this is a moment that I think is ultimately beyond us, but it's here for our edification. It's here for us to consider, and it's here for us to learn about what faith looks like and, and who we are in relationship with, uh, with God and, and how his will plays out into our lives. You know, this is one of those moments in which I think it's helpful to just read the whole thing and then go back through and sort it out. Sometimes when I preach, I, I'll read a verse or two, comment on it, go back, read a couple more verses like what we did last week. But this time, I think I, we just need to take the whole moment, just, just take it in. And then we'll go back and sort it out. So if you're in Job chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 6 through 12. And we're going to consider this incredibly unique, profound moment in Scripture. And it's entitled in my Bible, Satan Allowed to Test Job. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan... From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have, have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. What just happened? What did we just read? I mean, this is, this is incredible. I mean, there's so many things that, that come to mind, but before we really start sorting it out, there's one detail that I think you shouldn't overlook. This conversation that's happening between God and Satan, it, it's something that Job knows absolutely nothing about. So you and I are watching this and watching it play out in our minds and reading about it, but Job doesn't know about this conversation that we are getting to be in on here. Job knows nothing about it. Like Job's living out his life, doing what's right, fearing God, being honest and earning a good life, and, and he's, he's trying to execute his plan and do what's right. And then what we learn here is that God has a plan that supersedes Job's plan for his life. It's a bigger plan. Isn't that true about all of us, right? You're trying to live out your life the best way you know how. You're trying to carry out a plan and do what you think is right, right? But we have to live with this same truth that unbeknownst to us, God has a bigger plan. A bigger plan and, and, and so I think there's something unsettling about that and comforting about that all at the same time. Because when I think about the fact that God has a bigger plan than my plan in my life, there's something unsettling about that because I like to be in the know when it comes to my life and the plan, right? It'd be nice to be in on that plan. If there's a bigger plan, I want to know more about that plan. 
right? So there's something unsettling about it, but there's also something comforting about it. I mean, yes, I have my plans for my life, and I know that God has a plan for my life, and it's bigger than my plans, but it's comforting to know that the creator of the universe is in charge of the bigger and better plan for my life. It's comforting to know that I may not be in the know when it comes to that bigger plan, but that God is in the know. He is the creator of that plan, and his will will be carried out uh, to perfection. He, he is sovereign over all domains. I mean, I think it's easy to say, well, it's God's plan. You know, you, know, you think in your life when things don't go exactly the way you wanted them to, well, you know, it's God's plan. I guess it's God's plan. That's a really easy thing to say. But I think we can be honest and say that sometimes that can be a hard thing to accept. There's something unsettling about it, but there's something comforting about it all at the same time. There are, are moments in your life that God will allow that you don't expect. There's moments in your life that uh, God allows that you'll never know the reasons for it. You don't know the purpose of it. And um, you have no idea what's going on. But but he's carrying out his plan for your life. So we're, we, get, we get to be in on that bigger plan in, in Job's scenario, right? Job's not in on it, but we get to see it. And Job has zero knowledge of this conversation the entire time. But this conversation is taking place in what seems to be a heavenly scene. Now sometimes you'll see some scholars, they have a problem with that. They don't like to think about if this is a heavenly realm, then Satan can't be there. Um, and, and so some scholars, when you're reading about this, they'll say, well, this m must be a conversation that's taking place on earth. But we don't know. It doesn't explicitly say where this conversation is, is happening. But wherever it is, we have God there. This is the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that in the Old Testament, this is Yahweh, the great I Am. He's present there. And then presenting themselves to him are the sons of God. That's Biblical lingo a lot of times for angels or seraphim. And so we can imagine all of these, you know, angels reporting to God in this moment, presenting themselves to him to, to give an account for what they've been doing. Uh, God's in charge and we must, and, and we, we got to report to him. And then among them, like a record scratch, Satan's there to do the same thing. Satan is lined up with the angels to report to God what he's been doing. It's fascinating. Immediately we're forced to tighten up what it is that we believe about Satan. I mean, we all have the image of that caricature, that medieval caricature in our minds when we think of Satan, right? We got the horns, right? The, the little red devil with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. That's what probably pops in our heads. That has everything to do with a medieval caricature of Satan and nothing to do with the actual Bible. It makes for a great mascot for a school. I don't know why you'd want Satan as your mascot, but it does work, I guess, somehow. It works great for a Looney Tunes cartoon. It works great for a Halloween costume, but uh, has nothing to do with the Bible. You've got to tighten up what you believe about Satan. The Satan in the Bible, he walks among, among the sons of God. He pre he's presents himself before Yahweh. You know, this reminds me of how Paul describes Satan in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 14. It says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
You know, if you, I think if we were to try to paint a caricature of Satan based on what we know in Scripture, if I was going to do that, I would paint Satan as something strikingly wonderful, something brilliant, something that seemingly radiates righteousness and holiness and, and something that's amazing, something that is, I would paint Satan as something that would be intimidating, but not in like a red skin, claws and warts kind of way, but intimidating in, in a brilliant, impressive sort of way, in a beautiful way. Because he disguises himself as an angel of light. I think if you and I were really able to witness this moment in which the sons of God and Satan were presenting themselves to God, I think you and I would be unable to figure out which one of them was Satan at all. We wouldn't, they would be indistinguishable. They're all brilliant and amazing. We wouldn't even, we couldn't pick him up out of the, pick him out out of the crowd. But God knows exactly which one Satan is. We can be fooled by that. God is not fooled by that. He knows Satan is there. And so he addresses Satan immediately. From where have you come? Now, is this like, hey, what are you doing here? Is God clueless wandering around? What are you doing? You're Satan, aren't you? And sometimes we, we go there. We, people that don't want to give God the benefit of the doubt, they just, um, you know, kind of think of him like a bozo. What are you doing here, Satan? He knows exactly what Satan is doing there. Satan is reporting to him. Because Satan answers to him like the rest of us. God is in charge here. Satan has to answer to God. He says from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. Well, there we go. We've got to destroy that medieval caricature again. Is Satan down in hell with his pitchfork waiting on us there to, to torture the unbelievers for the end, until the end of time? No. That's a medieval caricature. That's not the biblical Satan. In the Bible, hell is waiting on Satan. Satan's not waiting in hell. Satan doesn't want to go to hell. He doesn't want to go there just like everybody else doesn't want to go there. But hell is for him. God reigns there. Hell is God's domain in the Bible. God is sovereign and reigns over every domain, every realm. And so hell is there for those like Satan. And he will be banished there, is what we're told in Scripture. But until then, where is Satan? Well, he's not in hell. He's here. Earth is his domain. He is going to and fro here. And so God isn't fooled by Satan. And Satan has to answer uh, to God. And they go way back. If you, if you ever want a good proof text to, to go to kind of tie all these uh, all these descriptions of Satan together. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 is a great one. It, it talks about Satan there. Uh, Satan is that ancient serpent called the devil. You know, you see Satan and ancient serpent and devil all together there, tying him back to the garden, uh, being the one who deceived Adam and Eve. But unlike Job's name, Satan's name tells us everything we need to know about Satan. If you look at the name of Satan in Hebrew, it's Satan, and it means the adversary or the accuser. And so literally, if you were reading this in Hebrew, every time it says Satan, you would be reading the adversary, the adversary or the accuser. You know, I'm reminded of uh, the way Peter describes Satan in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, your adversary, 
the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's the activity that Satan is up to in and on this earth. And God knows all about it. He knows exactly what Satan is up to. He knows what he's doing when he goes to and fro on the earth. He's prowling around seeking someone to devour. He's causing destruction. He is deceiving. And that's exactly what blows our minds to smithereens when we read God is the one that points out Job to this lion. Can you believe it? Satan didn't bring up Job. God brought it up. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. God points him out to the one who is known as the adversary, the accuser. I was watching a, a uh, I was watching one of those little reels last week on my phone. You know, like I don't know if you're like me, like you know, you see those little stupid videos on social media, and the algorithm just gets you, right? Like they know exactly, like oh, I'm not gonna watch that. I really want to see what happens in that video, right? And you click on it. Well, like the algorithm knows that like when it comes to wild animals, like they know I'm a sucker for that stuff. So if, I'm, if I scroll, if I turn on Facebook and I see this little reel, and you know they give you like one second of it, and it's like, oh, man, I want to see the rest of it. You know, like I see an orca going by a dude on a surfboard. I'm like, oh, I want to see if that guy, if he gets it. I want to, I want to root for the orca, you know, like, like what's going to happen next? Well, I, I get all kinds of wild animals for whatever reason on my reels and, and one reel that I got was a tiger and it was it was in, in India this guy was driving down the road in his car and it's a paved road but it's clearly out in the in the middle of the jungle somewhere in India and this tiger is just casually walking through the jungle coming out of the jungle and crossing the road to the other side to get back into the jungle. And I just thought, you know, like, I, I got to watch that, right? I mean, how amazing would it be to be driving down the road and you see a tiger crossing the street? Like, yeah, I want to stop and get my camera out just like that dude. That was amazing. So he stopped there and he's videoing it. And then these two guys on a motorcycle, or they don't know that a tiger's in front of the car. They're just trying to get around the car. And they go around the car and, and slam on their brakes and, and honk their horn at that tiger. And so immediately the tiger, that's just minding his own business. He hears that horn and he looks at those guys and he's like, oh, lunch. <laughs> he starts walking towards the guys then. He like changes direction. He, he almost didn't even, he didn't even stop in stride. He's just walking this way. Here's the horn. He's like, yummy, I'm going this way now. And then the guys are, you know, trying to back that motorcycle up, which if two people are on a motorcycle and they're trying to backpedal, and then the guy's trying to get his car in between the motorcycle and the tiger. And, you know, and, and again, I watch those videos, and I'm like, get him, get him, get him. That's <laughs> so wrong. Uh, but I can't help it. But, you know, those, those bikers, were, they were just fine, right, until the tiger noticed. That was... I was thinking about this passage of scripture like Satan was going to and fro and prowling around this earth like a roaring lion and he hadn't bothered Job. He hadn't messed with Job. Maybe it's that Job hasn't got his attention yet. But God points him out. God says, hey, Satan, hey, have you considered Job? It makes you wonder like, 
If, Job, if Satan would have just kept going, doing his thing, he would, may have never noticed Job, but because God put him in his sights, he changes direction and he starts going toward, towards Job. So is this the biggest cosmic blunder in all of scripture? Again, sometimes when we don't want to give God the benefit of the doubt, we just assume he must be a buffoon. Surely he's just dumber than we are. Way to go, God. Job would have just been fine if you kept your mouth shut. Why did you point him out? He would have been a-okay. Is that what's happening here? Or are we learning something bigger about God? Should we lower our view of God to, con to think that we're smarter than him? Or do you think the Bible is trying to get us to expand our, our view of God and our understanding of God? That God knew exactly what he was doing when he put Job right in the path of that roaring lion. I think that's exactly what's happening here, what's happening here because God knows Satan better than Satan knows Satan. God created Satan. God knows the thoughts that Satan are going to have before he ever has them. He knows the direction he's going to go before he ever takes the turn, just like you and I. God is sovereign over him just like he's sovereign over us. And God pointed out Job so that you and I could learn something about God and how this world works. He did it on purpose. And we have to accept that. And of course, when we see in this moment in which Satan suddenly notices Job, he starts doing what he does best. Best, He's the adversary. He's the accuser. And so he starts accusing. And it's a really clever approach, right? Well, of course that guy worships you. I mean, it's divine favoritism. There's a hedge all around him. You can't even get to Job. No wonder he fears you. You protect everything he has. You bless all the work of his hands. Of course he worships you. Take all that stuff away. He's not going to fear you anymore. He loves you because of what he can get out of it. He loves you because of all the good things in life that he has. Take all that stuff away and he will curse you to your face. Now we can't pass up a moment to examine ourselves in that, right? What if God took away all your goodies? There's probably so many things in your life right now that you would say, praise God, I can't believe how much he's blessed me. I can't believe how much I have. I can't believe how much I have been blessed in this life. And I praise God. You rightfully praise God for all that you have. But what if all that was taken away? If, if Satan made this accusation of you that he's making of Job, what do you think would happen? If Satan said, hey, take away all their goodies in life, take away all the good things they're experiencing, and they're going to curse you right to your face. Is that true of you? If the accuser said that about you, would that be true? Satan wants to, wants to, to say that, hey, all these people that are worshiping you, they're just one catastrophe away from hating you. And so God, in response to what Satan says, he gives Satan a divine permission slip. Remember, anytime you think of Satan doing anything in this world, anything in the Bible, he's always on a leash. God gives him a divine permission slip that says, all that he has is in your hand. Just don't harm Job. 
So that hedge that surrounded Job, it was tore down. Satan didn't tear it down. God took it away. And he leaves Job open for attack from Satan. I mean, again, it's a lot to process. Job didn't do anything to deserve this. Job doesn't even know this is happening. Job doesn't know this is coming as a result of this conversation. Last week, I, I, I wanted to put a thought in your head to take with you on this journey through the book of, the, book of Job, and it's, it's this. God has a plan for suffering in your life, and Satan has a plan for suffering in your life. Which one of those plans are you bought into, or are you going to buy into? That's the question that you have to answer when you study through Job. Well, Satan's plan for your life is to cause destruction, and, and, and as a result of that destruction, he wants you to curse God and make you bitter towards him. And we talked about that last week, how that's a really effective plan. It has a high success rate when you think about that plan. But God has a plan for suffering in your life too. And, and God's plan for suffering in your life is to humble you, and it also does something really special and really important. It authenticates your faith. It, it, it allows you to have something tangible to look at that you can know your faith is genuine. Going through suffering is what allows you to do that. And so I want you to think about those two plans, and there's details in this paragraph that you and I need to, to instill in our hearts and minds. If we're going to buy into God's plans for suffering in our life and not curse him as a result of it, we need to have these details that we see, these realities that we see in Job, and understand that they apply to us too. Four details I want to I draw out here. Here's one detail that's true of Job and also true of you. We have an adversary in this world prowling around like a lion seeking to devour us. That's true of us just like it was true of Job. It's a reality that we can't see. Satan is the enemy. He wants to ruin you. He wants to weaken you. He wants to break you down. And most of all, he wants to ruin your relationship with God. He wants to cause you to curse God, to not trust in him. He wants you to blame God. He wants to lower your view of God. Satan will do whatever it takes too. He'll, he'll flood your schedule with so much stuff that you have no time for God. He'll, he'll flood your spouse's mind with temptation to wreck your marriage. He'll Satan wants to rug pull your finances. He wants to mess up every positive plan you have in place in your life. And again, all to cause you to question everything. That is a true reality that we learn in the Bible. Satan is the real and true adversary, accuser in this world, and he will affect you. The second truth, if you want to buy into God's plan, you need to understand there are times in which that adversary, Satan, he is allowed to affect your life. He's allowed to get through that hedge. He's permitted to cause pain and suffering and undeserved trauma in your life. And he does it in countless ways. You have to accept that. And, and, and as you accept that, we can also understand simultaneously that somehow, some way beyond what you and I are probably uh, uh, capable of understanding is that as 
Satan is allowed, as he's permitted to do these things in your life, nothing happens to you that doesn't first pass through the hands of God first. Nothing. God is sovereign and he is in complete control. His plan supersedes all other plans. Your plan, Satan's plan, they're all under his plan. And he has the right to allow those things to happen in your life. And so you can think about that truth and you can allow it to develop bitterness towards God. You can allow that reality to cause you to develop resentment towards God. And that's exactly what Satan wants it to do. Satan wants you to contemplate that and become resentful. Or you can be ministered to by the book of Job and you can allow this truth to cause you to develop a deeper trust in God. That he is accomplishing something bigger than you. That's how the book of Job is ministering to us. And that's how you can buy into God's plan for suffering in your life. Number three, God's plan for your life may sometimes feel unpleasant and unfair. God's plan for your life may sometimes just feel downright unpleasant and unfair. Sometimes in those moments in life when you're like, this is not fair. I don't deserve this. Sometimes in those moments, you are right at the center of God's will in your life. There's a lot of superficial faith out there that believes you're only in the center of God's will when everything's going great. But that's not true. Sometimes you can be in the center of God's will and everything's going horrible. It's going terrible. I mean, if you want to believe that you're only in the center of God's will when everything's going great, you, you can't use the Bible to inform that belief. Because we don't learn that there. And when you buy into that superficial version of our faith, you have such a short-sighted view of God. Such a, you know, he sees the beginning and the end simultaneously. And you've got to realize that even if God did come down here and give us all those reasons we're asking for, what makes you think that you would understand it? Right? I can, I can or, well, I can't, but you could, one of you who knows calculus, you can explain that to a three-year-old all you want. They're not going to understand calculus, right? I think a lot of times we demand these answers, and Job will look for answers, and sometimes when we get into Job, he's, he gets the answer, and he's like, ah, okay, I, I can't, I can't, I can't understand that. That's too much for me. This is how Job ministers to us, and this is how we develop a, a, a joy and a hope in God's plan for our life, and we can accept that sometimes we're right in the center of God's will when everything's going wrong. And the fourth thing I wanted to draw your attention to out of this passage is that when you experience those unfair, unpleasant moments that are in the center of God's will, know this, they are necessary to develop you the way God wants to develop you. They're necessary. You know, I think this is probably true at all, of all of us. When we get into those difficult seasons of life when everything seems to be falling in on us, those are the moments in which we uh, are probably tempted to think just the opposite about God. That, um, you know, that he's not there and that he can't work in those times. You know, when I get in those seasons of life, I, those times that I really hate that are full of grief and anxiety and worry and anger and frustration, those are the moments in, in my life in which I'm so convinced God has forgotten about me. You know, does he, does he see me? Does he notice the agony that I'm feeling right now? 
Has God abandoned me? Does he not consider me his servant anymore? Does he not care for me? That's what I'm tempted to think. That's what I'm tempted to feel. That's what I'm tempted to believe when I go through bad seasons of life. And when I'm in that frame of mind, again, I'm, I'm buying into Satan's plan for suffering in my life. And then I go to books like Job, and it says, hey, you can even have joy and appreciate the work of God in your life in moments like that. Moments like that, God can be working on you there, just like he is working on you in other times in your life. You can have growth and development and a close relationship with him and be in awe of him and worship him in those moments just like you can the good moments. Job stops us from going there. He stops us from, from, from falling into the pit of despair and he's wanting to expand. This, this book is, wants to expand our, our idea of how God works in all of these situations. He sees all, he knows all, and sometimes the hardest moments in our life are the most necessary moments to develop us and to grow us in our faith and in, our, in the way that we trust God and love him. And so this is how this book of the Bible ministers to us, and these are the things that I want you to contemplate, because some of you probably feel that you're there right now, and you're wondering, how do I sort all this out? Has God forgotten about me? No, he, he hasn't forgotten about you. And it may be exactly what needed to happen. It may be the best thing that could possibly happen right now for you to grow in your faith. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again for the book of Job. Some of these truths are just ultimately beyond us, but we're so grateful that you've given us a way uh, a way to, to, to confront the suffering that we experience in this life in a way that won't result in bitterness and resentment towards you, but yet it'll result in hope and trust that you can use the bad moments just like the good. Lord, we're grateful that Satan is on a leash. We're grateful that he can't do any more than what you allow him to do. We're grateful to learn, Lord, that you are sovereign over him and that he reports to you. So Lord, as we contemplate the, the pain and suffering that we, we live through, Lord, help us to remember these things, that we can trust in you and have that joy and hope that you want us to live with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.